no, no, no. Yeah, it's bad. Go ahead and grab a seat. You're like, we will sit down if you won't sing. And the whole church said, amen. Yeah, this is a place of grace. (laughs) It's so good to see you this morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. If you are a guest, welcome. To our family here at Clear Creek, if you're joining us online, welcome from wherever you are. We're just glad that you are with us today as we start the Advent season. You say, Advent, what's that? Advent is the, comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which simply means coming or arrival. And for almost 2,000 years, the church has celebrated the four Sundays before Christmas, this arrival of Jesus, both his birth and the anticipation of his return. Is anyone else in this room or online looking forward to when Jesus comes back and fixes everything? I mean, anyone at all. I mean, this is, this is why we gather. And so today, we're going to celebrate him. We're going to start a new season and a new series called The Songs of Christmas. During this season, one of the things the church does, and one of the things we all do, is we have... Um, what we might call rhythms or habits or rituals, if you like that word. Or maybe, here's a word that'll hit you better, traditions. Show of hands, how many of you have any kind of traditions during the Christmas holiday? You put up a tree, you eat certain foods, you put presents. Are there anyone at all this morning, a little tradition here? Yeah, Uh, we have a lot of traditions in the Diggs family. In fact, we have been diagnosed with certain psychoses because of them. It's just one of those things. But one of the traditions of the church through history has been the lighting of candles to symbolize every Sunday one gift Christ gives and brings through his coming and eventual return. And it is tradition on the first Sunday of Advent that the first candle would symbolize something that our world and many of us need desperately. And that's this word, hope. Hope. And I'm not talking about some sort of weird wish fulfillment, like I hope I get a pony this year. Kiddos, I love you, but ain't going to happen. Sorry, some of you are going, you ruined Christmas, right? I'm talking about something that's rock solid, something that's deeper, something more substantial than simply wishing for, but something that can withstand the difficulties of life. And so today we're going to listen in and look at a song that deals with this idea of hope. In fact, every week, During this season of Advent, we're going to look at a different song, one of the hymns we sing, and underneath it, look at the scripture on which that song was built, so that as you hear these songs over the next few weeks, you will not simply hear them up here, but you will get them down here, because how many of us know we can know something without believing it in our heart of hearts? And so I just want you to hold on to some of these, and so today we're looking at That wonderful song that we just heard Mariah belt out in Josh Butcher, and it is this song, O Holy Night. The song, O Holy Night, actually has over 170 years history. It was written in the 1800s by a French poet by the name of Placide Capot. Everybody say, Placide. Oh, that's pathetic. Let's try this again. Placide Capot. Congrats. Now, that's the way my wife, who was a French major, told me to say it. I hope I didn't mess it up too badly. Did I do okay, babe? Eh, Okay, we'll talk about the grading system later. But this guy, he was asked by his church's priest. Yes, he's Catholic, but he was asked by his priest to write a poem that they could read 
on their Christmas Eve service. And so this guy, crazy enough, was known more for drinking wine and writing poetry than going to church. He said, yes, I'll do it. And so he took a carriage ride on the way to Paris. And as he was driving, riding to Paris, he began to think about what shall I write? And he pulled out the scriptures and he went to that passage of Christ's birth in Luke chapter 2. And these are the words he read on that journey. While they were there, they being Mary and Joseph, while they were there, this is in Bethlehem, the place of Joseph's heritage, the time came for the baby to be born. Church, who's the baby of Christmas? It's Jesus. And she, talking of Mary, gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now down to verse 13 says, Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God. And as Capot read these words, he began to imagine what it must have been like to be there that night in the fields outside of Bethlehem where only the stars were your light. The silence of the night is broken and the lights of the stars are blown out by the glory of the angelic host. And he began to envision what would it have been like to see the brilliance, perhaps feel the heat from the light and the angelic voices And as he envisioned this, he began to pen the poem that we know of now as O Holy Night. Well, he gets to Paris, and he pulls out the poem, and he realizes it's far too nice of words that the poem itself is not enough. It needs music. The problem is, Capot is not a musician. And so he asks a friend of his, a guy by the name of Adolf Adams, to write the music. The problem is, Adolf Adams is a Jewish man who does not believe in Jesus. And you can imagine he felt a little conflicted about writing the, lyric or the music to a song about a man he didn't really believe was Messiah. But Capote said, I need your help. Will you help me? And he finally said, okay. By the way, just side note, if you've ever wondered, can God use me? I just want you to remember these two men. God used a man known more for drinking than being a part of the church and another man who didn't even believe in Jesus to bless the body of Christ now for over 170 years. What am I telling you? It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what your presence is. God specializes in using people that no one else would expect. God can use you, friend, and God can use me, and God can use us. And so this music was put to it. And on Christmas Eve, In the year 1847, in a small church, they sang, O Holy Night, for the very first time. And there's one little phrase I want us to draw out this morning and dig into. The phrase that we're going to spend the time looking at is this simple one. A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. It amazes me when I read these words about a song written over 170 years ago, about an event that was almost 2,000 years ago. And in this moment, I say, a weary world? That could have been written yesterday, couldn't it? Anyone else 
Recognize that we live in a tired and weary world. Is anyone else aware of the tiredness and the weariness that seems to plague our world? I keep thinking about how tired so many of us are about the fighting we see online and on TV and in our neighborhoods and in our school system and even in our families. So many of us are tired about the division even in the church and around our places, the places we love, the places we go. This is a weary world. It is a world that is constantly dealing with garbage and it's just, I'm tired of it. Anyone else just tired of the garbage of this world? And then some of us this morning, if you're like me, it's not simply a weary world, something out there, but me personally, I feel weary sometimes. I feel tired sometimes. And I don't know about you, but there's all sorts of things to feel weary about, so many things that are broken, where we are just tired from our schedules. How many of us are tired of the most common response when we ask how you're doing for the response to be, I'm just busy, I just feel weary I just don't have enough time. How many of us are just tired of feeling like we're robots having to go through the motions of life, but we don't have the energy to do it? A weary world. And we're just so tired of the evil in the world, the shootings, the addiction, the abuse. We're tired of just personally not measuring up. We're tired of all the broken relationships. We're tired of the imperfections and tired of our own garbage, our own sin. How many of us are tired of looking at the person in the mirror going, why aren't you different yet? A weary world? See, that's not something for back then. That's something for today, church. That's something that Josh digs, and maybe you can feel this morning. You go, I feel weary because of what I see around me and even sometimes in me. Have you ever felt like you're just failing at life sometime? Like you get the scorecard, and it's not an A, it's not a B. You're not even at a C level. You're just a big F, and you're just weary. Last week, I overheard a couple of friends talking, and one of the guys said this. He said, being a human being is hard. It's just hard. Man, I I make so many mistakes. I make so many bad choices, and I'm just weary. But let's go back to the song for a moment there. Do you notice it says a weary world? What's that next word, church? Really loud. What's that next word? Rejoices. And it's like, wait, wait, come again? Can can you say that a little louder? Did I hear you right? A weary world has the ability to rejoice Come on, that's too good to be true. This is like one of those late night infomercials that for three easy payments of $49.99, you can have joy. Yeah, right. Not in this world. How? How do we get a weary world to rejoice? And the answer is a thrill of hope. A thrill of, of hope. What's this word? Hope, hope. I looked it up and almost every definition agrees That this word hope simply means a feeling of expectation or a desire for a certain thing to happen. So why is it that the world rejoices? Why is it that a weary and broken and sometimes scarred people of God can have a thrill of hope? And the answer, as cliche, as obvious, as expected as it is in a church in the Christmas season, but friend, just because it is cliche doesn't mean it is untrue. The answer that we can have a thrill of hope It's because God is not done yet. God proved that night, after 400 years of waiting for Messiah, of silence in Scripture. You understand there's 400 years between the last chapter of the Old Testament and the first verse of the New Testament. 400 years where there's nothing spoken from God to his people and they are under the boot heel of Rome. They are weary and yet even in the darkest time at the dark of night, a weary world rejoices because God says, I am not 
done yet. The God of the Bible shows up in the darkness. A weary world can rejoice. A thrill of hope that God is not done yet. And I love this idea that God is near. That we can know God loves you. That God loves me. That God has not given up. And we can expect that no matter how tired and weary we are, the sun will come up tomorrow. His mercies are new every morning. Praise His name. And friend, if, if you're going through a tough time, and you consider what is the worst thing that you could possibly imagine happening, and the worst thing that you can imagine is that you don't wake up tomorrow, that the sun doesn't come up, the Bible says that if you are in Christ Jesus, that if the sun does not come up for you tomorrow, it means that you are at home with Jesus in heaven. All the suffering, all the sorrow, all the pain, it's gone. Hallelujah, praise His name. That's our hope. And the reason we can celebrate in a weary world, the reason we can raise our hands and say, Emmanuel, is because God is with us. The God who promised keeps His promises. This is our hope. And I I don't know where you are this morning. The reality is so many of us come in here with different feelings. And isn't it true? I'm going to say this every week, so you're going to have to just hear this. But it's true That Christmas, this season, doesn't it just sort of magnify whatever you're already feeling? So if you come into the season and life is good, then everything is a Bing Crosby song on repeat, right? Some of you don't get that. Okay, it's a Justin Bieber song on repeat. Any of you get that? I I don't have other references. That's all I got for you. If life is good, then you are living a musical life. My little girl, Emma, I love her for so many reasons. One of those is she lives in a perpetual state of musical. She'll just, we'll hear her singing from upstairs. And then she'll come out from her bedroom wearing a princess dress because life is magical. Isn't it true that when life is good, Christmas simply accentuates it? But when life is hard, when you lose someone you love, Isn't it true this is one of the hardest times of year if you've lost someone this year? Isn't it true that if you're going through a tough time in your marriage, this is the hardest time of the year? Isn't it true that if you are estranged from someone that you once were close with, or if you have a health report or you're waiting on the doctor, isn't it true that this time of year can be one of the hardest times of year? It simply accentuates or magnifies. We live in a weary world that desperately needs hope. And not just the world, but we need hope. And need to be reminded that God came and he proves that he keeps his promises. And so I just want to ask you a question this morning. This is for all of us, not just if you're new here. And this is all for all of us, not if you've just been here for 10, 20, 30 years. This is for all of us. Here's the question. Do you have any hope or are you just weary this morning? Honestly, if you were to evaluate your life, you were to do an audit of your attitude, your words, your actions, your speech, would all of those things convey that you have hope or that you just feel weary? And there's no judgment here. I'm just asking you to do a little evaluation, not to say, oh, I should do better, but to recognize that if you are feeling weary, it's seeping out of you. And the thing you need is not to try harder, but it's to go back to the promise of hope in Jesus. Because here's the other reality. That if you put your hope, or if your hope is in anything or anyone other than for Jesus, you and I, Scripture says, are hopeless. Because if there is not a God who came into human history to restore and fix things, then it means that you and everything that you need to be fixed, it's up to you to fix it. It means that whatever's going wrong, it's your job to fix it. 
And if you want to crush the human spirit, tell them all the brokenness they see is their responsibility to fix it. But if you trust in Jesus, then there's the promise that no matter how hard life is, he has broken into human history and he is not done yet, but he is making all things new. Praise his name. This is what this season is about. I love what Jurgen Moltmann says. He's a theologian. He makes this point about being hopeless. He says, totally without hope, one cannot live. This is true, isn't it? You just give up the will to survive. To live without hope is to cease to live. And then he makes this statement that's so profound. He says, hell is hopelessness. I want you to consider that with me for a moment this morning. When you give up all hope and say there's nothing that can be done, you've locked yourself into this sense of hell. And I'm not using that lightly. It is literally that I am separated from the God who can fix what is wrong. Hell is hopelessness. It is no accident that above the entrance to Dante's hell, this is Dante's inferno for you lit majors, above the entrance is the inscription, leave behind all hope, you who enter here, that if you are living hopelessly, you are living in a sense that God is not here. But when you remember that there is hope, you are remembering that there is a God who is present. You are with a God who has not abandoned you, but he is a God who has come near. If our hope is in anything else, we will be hopeless. So here's what happens. A lot of times we'll sort of wet our finger, put it up in the air, and we'll say, well, how's my marriage? Oh, it's good. I have hope. But if it's going bad, I have no hope. Oh, well, let's see. My bank account, it's going really well. It's full. Not so much. No hope. And the reality is if we're finding hope in these secondary things, even good things, then you are just one bad phone call away from losing hope. But friend, if your hope is in Jesus Christ, there is no phone call that you'll ever receive that will dethrone Jesus, that will take him out of the seat of power, that will take him out of the authority over all the cosmos, that will undo what he did for you on the cross, that even the worst day of your life is not the last day of your life if you have hope in Jesus Christ. Now, the question, of course, we have to answer for ourselves is simply this. How does hope get to the rest of the world? And I'm so glad that you're thinking that way because it's such an important question. The way that hope gets to the rest of the world is simply this. Hope gets to the world in us and through us. And I know you know that. But it gets to us and through us. And again, this is one of those things that we can say out loud, but until it gets from our head to our heart, it will not change us. You need to understand that until you recognize that you were lost, that you were separated from God, literally destined for hell, hopeless, but Christ came, he rescued you, and he has now positioned you as a co-heir, a kid in God's family. Now that hope is in you, and you are a walking ambassador of hope into a world that needs hope. This is how it comes. This is why the Apostle Paul, when writing to a church that was struggling, said this in Colossians 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's why Jesus, in Matthew 5, when talking to some of his disciples, he said, you are the light of the world. You you are the hope. Because Christ in you, God's work in you, gets spilled over into a hopeless and weary world. It may rejoice because of you in this world. So So who are the people in your life? Here's the question. Who are the people in your life who are hungry for hope? If you were to write down, and I mean this, if you were to consider who are the top three people today that you know that today need hope, 
What are their names? Who, who would be number one? Would it be your neighbor? Would it be your spouse? Would it be a child? Or maybe for some of us who are caregivers to parents, maybe it's your mom or your dad. Maybe it's someone in church. Maybe it's someone at work. Who are the people that you know who today are hungry for hope? They are weary. They need to rejoice. And they can if you can give them the thrill of hope that Christ has come. God's not done. The world's not over because Christ is on his throne. Who are the people in your life who need hope? Let me give you a couple suggestions on how to do this. These are things I've seen so many of you do in my life. Some simple ways to begin giving hope. Number one is to help friend that is hurting. Simply be there. Number two is share an encouraging word. Let your words, Scripture says, be seasoned with salt, meaning that they are life-giving. They bring taste and joy. Forgive a person who's hurt you deeply. And by the way, forgiveness it doesn't have to be a two-way street. The person doesn't have to ask for forgiveness for us to extend forgiveness. Christ extends forgiveness to you before you ever say yes. Isn't that right? Or speak for someone who can't speak for themselves. And listen, these are just some ideas. But we should begin every day by offering hope. Not as some cute thing we do in church for five minutes or on a Christmas card or some promise that politicians make. But that this becomes the rhythm of our lives day in and day out. That we, as those who've received the thrill of hope, the promise of God, are the dispensers of hope. Now, back to our song one last time. There's one little detail that I think is so interesting. Did you know that Oh Holy Night is not only a cute little song, but it actually made history in 1906. In 1906, there was a professor named Reginald Fessenden. He worked directly underneath Thomas Edison. He was an electrician, and he, he worked his way up. Very brilliant man, Fessenden. And he became convinced that there was an ability that he could figure out a way through the power of electricity to send one's voice wirelessly through the airs to a receiver on the other end. It's what we now call the radio. But at that time, they didn't have such a thing. In fact, all they had was Morse code. Now, you could send that wirelessly, but they couldn't get a voice across. They didn't know how. And so after many attempts ever, after a lot of struggle in getting it wrong, he finally, he finally in 1906, said, I think I've got it. And so from his home on Christmas Eve, 1906, he sent out a Morse code to all the ships in the Atlantic Ocean, 100 plus miles away. And as the Morse code came in, this is what it said. Be prepared for something of great interest to follow. And then Professor Fessenden began to read And people on the other end, for the first time in history, heard a voice coming from the speakers, and this is what they heard. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, Because he belonged to the house and line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God. And when he finished reading, he picked up his violin, and he played this song. First song to ever be heard on radio. Oh, holy night. I was thinking about it this week. This was the first song ever heard. What if hope was the first thing the world heard from us? What if the first thing you and I broadcast tomorrow morning when we wake up or when we go to work, what if the first thing was hope that God's not dead, He came and He's coming again? What if hope became the message that starting today, the church of Jesus Christ says, I don't know what you're going through and I can't fix everything, but I know the one who promises at the end of all things to fix all things. And what if we did this? Not just this season, but in every season. So here's here's the challenge. Are you ready? Here's the challenge. Let's let hope be our first word to the world this season. Would you let that be what comes from the projection, the broadcast of your life. And may as we receive and give hope to one another and this world, may the light of Jesus in this season shine all the brighter. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Father, we thank you that you did not leave us that the sin of our lives, the darkness of this world, the addictions, the pain, the, the broken hearts, the broken promises, those did not determine your faithfulness. But it's because of our sin you came, and on that night you proved that you are a trustworthy God, that there is hope beyond our worst moments because Jesus, the light of the world, came in the darkness to bring light in our lives, in this church, and in this city and our world. Lord, we pray that you will please fill each person here with the truth that Jesus is King, He is Lord of all, He is on His throne, and nothing we have done can unthrone Him. No sin in our past is greater than His grace, no predicament we face is greater than Your power, and no problem we face in the future is greater than Your promise that You will bring to right all that is wrong. And Father, I pray boldly for anyone in here who has yet to say yes to you in baptism to receive the hope of Christ in their lives. I pray that you will knock on their door, that you will say, let me in. I want to bring you hope. And for the rest of us who may have already said yes, I pray that it was not simply a one-time yes, but it's a daily yes. I receive the hope. I receive the hope. And now I live it and give it. Oh, Jesus, light of the world, may your word and broadcast of hope come loudly and clearly through our lives this season. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.